Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how people in church should treat each other. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to make one announcement and ask for one favor. First, I want to tell you about our VBS. Every year our VBS reaches and impacts a lot of kids. This year it will be July 15th through 19th. And if you have kids in our, in our area, please head to wilsonville.church VBS. There you can learn all of the details you'll need and you can register. You definitely won't regret having your child attend, I promise. The favor I want to ask is simple. If you find this podcast valuable, it would be great if you left us a rating and review. I know I've said this before, but leaving ratings and reviews helps this content be heard by more people. I know it sounds like a long shot, but helping more people hear this might change a life. Think about it. I mean, taking a minute to type a few words about how you've been impacted could literally impact another person for eternity. So please do that. Like I said, if you've been impacted by this podcast. Thanks again for taking time to listen. I really do hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. All right, so for those of you who don't know me, I uh, am a high school chaplain and Bible teacher. I'm an elder at this church. My name's Matt Canary. My parents are here, Charles and Diane Connery. We disagree about how to pronounce our last name. I've got it right. Um, now, normally how this works is that uh, as Chad is preaching through a section of the Bible, he'll get somewhere difficult and then he'll ask me to do it. But he's left me with uh, love one another, which I really think is sort of a softball, so um, that was nice of him. But I'm here so that he can be in Hawaii, so I'm living this out, right? I'm loving Chad in this way by, by doing this for him. But in my, uh, my own reflection, when I thought about um, the passage of, of Scripture that I'll be going over, which is in Romans chapter 13, and what it is to love one another. You know, I reflected back on my experience when I worked at Costco. I worked at Costco for, for several years. I was in management, uh, both at Tigard and in Wilsonville. And man, it can warp you, I'll tell you. Like in terms of your understanding of, uh, of people. Uh, day and night, you are in an often very crowded warehouse with people of diverse uh, background, uh, creed, ideology, culture, uh, and uh, really a oftentimes different understanding of what constitutes just normal human interaction, frankly. Um, I, and I think about uh, when I was over uh, overseeing the returns desk. It was the membership and returns desk. And, you know, 95% of the time, uh, the returns that you get are, like, totally usual, right? Somebody comes in and says, look, I'm not satisfied, um, it broke, or it wasn't what I was expecting, I didn't like it, and at Costco, my goodness, it is so easy, all you do is, you know, they could have said, we bought these ornaments, and when we were throwing them at the kids, they all broke, and we can be like, okay, here's your money back, right? It's really easy, it really doesn't matter, it's just you give the money, right? They, they could bring it in, it could have a Walmart sticker, and you'd be like, yeah, but we did sell this once, so here you go, Right? It's really easy job, but it still can be frustrating because, you know, there are those people that come in and they'll, and you, they know they're stretching it a little bit. They might have like a three-year-old Sonicare toothbrush, but they're like apologetic and they say, I don't know if there's anything you can do, but I felt like it should have lasted a little bit longer. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I might do the same thing. It's a little bit bigger purchase. 
okay. See, but then you have the 15-year-old underwear that someone returns because, you know what, it, it's worn out. <laughs> yeah, it's 15 years old, it's worn out, right? The old hoses, the, the boxes of, uh, the, that was a vacuum box full of rocks instead of the actual vacuum. So you know what you're doing, right? The, the ham bones after the holidays. People say, look, we ate it all, but we didn't enjoy it. Oh, okay. Right? And then you have the, the uh, what I call the, uh, the rental returners. Right? When, look, just a pro tip. The computer tells us everything. We see it all. Right? So when somebody comes in, they bring their air conditioning unit, and they're like, look, uh, yeah, just, you know what? I'm not, I don't like the quality of it. And you look back and you're like, yeah, for the last 12 years, every time you get an air conditioning unit, whenever the season gets a bit cooler, you return it because you don't like the you know, quality of it. They're just renting these air conditioners during the warmer seasons. Or, or the people who buy jewelry. I'm not going to say that men don't do this, but it's always women. <laughs> buy the jewelry, right? $12,000 worth of jewelry. And every year, $12,000 worth of jewelry is returned. So you buy the jewelry, you wear it for an event, and then you return it. Now, that's frustrating. My goodness, it's so to see that and be like, I'm going to do it anyways because that's the Costco way, right? But you're exploiting the system. But you give them the money. And then you have, can I go on a rant for a second? <laughs> These are the seasoned samplers. Okay? This could be anybody, but I have a profile. I've told my wife I don't want to do that here. But they'll go to the sample station, and they will park their cart at the sample station, and they figure that if they just make small talk with the person giving out the samples, that that is sort of tacit permission to take as many as you want. Right, so as you're talking to them, you're like pretending like you're concerned about the sodium content, right, of the microwavable corn dog bites, and you know, and what's the prep time like, right? And you're putting them all in the front, and then, and then, but when you're doing this, apparently you become totally oblivious to the fact that other people exist in the universe, and you park your cart in a way where you're like, how much of the aisle can I actually block with this oversized Costco cart? right? And you just park it, sort of die out, totally blocking everybody. And the normal human reaction that people have is that they'll sort of go around, but they'll glare at you. They might exaggerate their emotions like, oh, oh, right? So that you hopefully see it. And some people do, and they'll move their cart to a less offending position. But a lot of people, they're just totally oblivious. And so when I read the first part of Romans chapter 13, verse 7. So Romans chapter 13, verse 7a. Is it up there? It just says, in, in, the, in the NET version, it says, pay everyone what is owed. And for me, my initial reaction when I see pay everyone what is owed, I'm thinking, yes. To me, that's give them what they deserve. Right? Pay them what they have coming. Because... When, when I was at Costco, look, I, I was returning one day from the back of the warehouse because I was doing an audit, what they call it. You don't need to know what that is, but I'm returning, and I see one of these ladies, or men, sorry, ladies, at the sample 
station doing this. The cart's way out, and they're talking to the sampler. And people are going around, and they're getting frustrated. And normally what I'll do is I'll walk by, and I will take the cart, and I'll just move it, right? I got the Costco badge. I can do that. These are my carts. You're just using them, right? <laughs> so I will move it out of the way for people. I don't say anything. I'll just move it out of the way, and maybe that will register like, oh, I should do that next time, right? But this, I'm walking, and I see this happening, and I see a guy. And sometimes they have a look about him, and the look is, I don't want to be here. I'm here because I have to be, right? I'm heading to the back. Maybe I need 42 things of toilet paper, whatever it is. I don't want to be here. He's got uh, long hair. He's wearing sweatpants. He looks a, a little bit haggard, and he is taking his cart, and he's on line with that cart that's blocking. And I'm thinking, no way. What's happening? What's going to happen here? You know what? I've got the Costco pace. I'm moving. And he's, he just goes and boom, makes contact with the cart and just drags it <laughs> in front of him. Just not even batting an eye. He's just moving that baby in front. And the lady gets out of her sort of corndog revelry and she says, excuse me, excuse me, that's my cart, excuse me, right? And she's got the 10 samples up top. And, and all he says, he doesn't even look at her, he says, don't leave your cart in the aisle. Right? And I'm thinking, yes! <laughs> yes, you deserve it! Right? Of course, the, I break it up. I'm like, hey, we don't do that. You know, and give him the wink, like, yes. <laughs> right? And nobody around is, like, chastising the man, like, you shouldn't do that. They're like, thank goodness. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> right? She got what she deserved. And so when I read that in Romans chapter 13, verse 7a, give to them what they owe, or pay to them what you owe, I'm thinking, yeah, that's right. Give them what they deserve. I mean, there's more to it, obviously. It's not that, unfortunately. See, but then in, in, in your minds right now, you can think, yeah, I maybe feel that way sometimes. I don't think there's anyone in here who's never felt like if somebody does something wrong, you want to see them get what they deserve. We've all been there. But also, in our culture, there's this push against the idea of recompense. It's a big word. Recompense, which is the idea that people ought to get what they deserve. And here's how I mean that. There are Christians and, and non-Christians who are sort of morally sensitive, who are um, pushing against the idea that we should pay back what somebody's done wrong with punishment. And what, what it's translated to in our culture is, um, for instance, the grade system. There's been tons and tons of studies um, I, uh, in, in education, I see this, where we've shifted so far away from what is now average. Because um, while we might be okay with rewarding good work with good grades, we're less likely to reward bad grades with bad, or sorry, bad work with bad grades. Uh, in fact, we're reluctant to say that Johnny deserves to fail. In T-ball with my son, who's five years old, um, I got to sort of see this uh, firsthand, where if, uh, where if the ball gets caught, we're, we're leery of calling it an out. In fact, they don't. 
If you get to first base and the ball got there first, like by an hour, it doesn't matter. You get a run. Everybody gets to run. Everybody gets to score. Nobody deserves to lose. Our penitentiary systems, our penal systems is what they used to be called, and those who are apparently in charge of the definition said, no, we'll call them correctional institutions because we don't like the idea that uh, they're in charge of punishing people. If someone is a thief, we don't say, what, what punishment should we have? How do we retool him so when he comes back into society, he's less of a nuisance? And we've shifted away from wanting to say that people deserve certain things. For instance, even in, uh, it's how Costco bases their salary uh, positions, and people don't like to say, hey, employee A should get paid more than employee B because employee A does more for the company than employee B. No, everybody ought to get the same wage. Nobody deserves less. And so in culture, we have these sort of two different opinions that are conflicting over the idea of recompense that people ought to get what they deserve. And in, in one respect, uh, we're okay with going against the law of recompense. And, and here's what I mean by the law of recompense. Um, the I wrote it down here. It's the principle according to which a person receives no more and no less than what he deserves. What determines the size of his or her reward or punishment is the goodness or evil of his or her action. And, I, and it is any moral theory, any moral ethic has this as its basic substructure, this idea of recompense. And in one, in one area, we, we see when somebody breaks it, we know that it's wrong. So for instance, let's say that you go to a court because you were jaywalking. And the judge says, for the crime of jaywalking, I'm going to give you five years of hard time. And you're saying, wait a minute, your appeal to the judge would be, wait, I did not injure the state or its citizens so severely as to merit this sort of punishment. This punishment is worse than what I deserve. And it's wrong, and we can see that. See, but on the other end, there's another way to transcend the law of recompense. And that is when we don't give people the punishment that they deserve. Or maybe we give them less of a punishment than they deserve. And for us, that's where the uneasiness comes in. Because as Christians, isn't that how we ought to live our lives? By transcending the law of, of um, recompense, shouldn't we be living out that Christ ethic? If we just live this out, won't there be more dignity and equality? Or if we get rid of the idea of recompense, are we pulling up another moral anchor? And I want to answer the question of how we deal with this. Because let me, let me point to you some of the uh, New Testament that calls us to transcend the law, the law of recompense. In Matthew 5.39 it says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
In Luke 6, 28, it says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Matthew 5, 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 18, 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, and he's talking about forgiveness here, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times is how often you ought to forgive somebody. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to do this, you recall... Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, we're uneasy with the idea of recompense because the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is exactly what Jesus called us not to do. And didn't God himself say that the sun would shine and the rain would fall on the just and the unjust alike? And probably to get to the heart of the matter is that aren't we, aren't we, free and forgiven because of what Christ did for us. Didn't he transcend the law of recompense? We enjoy a pardon from sin because we're not getting what we deserve. So isn't that how we should live? I want to answer two questions here. Yes, we should live that way, and I'll get to that. But two... God did not get rid of this idea of recompense. And here's what I mean. If God got rid of the idea of recompense, then why in the world would Christ have had to die? Why not on one shiny day in eternity, not God just say, you know what, even though, you know, in, in spite of the fact that humanity has sinned against me, and deserves eternal destruction, that they have, in their pride and so-called self-efficiency, totally offended my holiness and glory. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say whatever and let it slide. Right? No need for cross, no need for, for Christ. But this, this idea is, is inherent in who God is. It's not a legal statute outside of God that he consults for guidance, a principle that can be set aside under extenuating circumstances. It's not an impersonal code established by a reason to which God must conform. Rather, the law of recompense is an expression of who God is. Our sin wasn't ignored. It was paid for. Isaiah 53.6 says this, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, talking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We did not get what we deserved. Jesus took what we deserved. So, in effect, the law of recompense, when it comes to us, yeah, God did transcend it. But in terms of God... It was paid for in full through the sacrifice of the Son. And when it comes to what we ought to do, 
people will get what they deserve, ultimately, but it will be what God does. In Romans 12, 19, it says, vengeance is God's. God, God says, vengeance is mine. It is not something that we dole out. It is something that God does. So our own practice of transcending this law of recompense comes because we are mirroring our lives after Jesus. We are doing it because it is how Jesus operated in our own lives. We don't do it saying those people won't get what they deserve. We're doing it because we don't give them what they deserve. It is our job through our actions to hopefully change their lives through our good works. Maybe they'll look and say, my goodness, look at what this person did for me despite my not deserving it. So as Christians, when I quoted that uh, Romans 13, 7a, there's a distinction that we need to make. We don't look at what people deserve. We first look at what they're owed. And the Bible tells us that they're always owed love. So let me read that, the full verse of Romans 13, verse 7. This is the NIV. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And he continues uh, in Romans 13, 8 saying, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So whatever you owe, whether it's taxes or, or wages or respect or honor, that is something that you should, you should be giving to people. You should be paying in full. But one thing that you will always be in bondage to, one debt you will never overcome, one debt you will always have is the debt to continually love others. So you don't just think about what they deserve. You must first see everything through a lens of what they are owed. And they are always owed love. So the summary statement that I kind of want I, I put together that I want to have is this. We are in debt, even to the undeserving, to love continually. So we are in debt, even to the undeserving, to love continually. And when I was uh, reflecting on this and reading the rest of Romans uh, there were three sort of crucial, fundamental ways that I think that we demonstrate this love debt. And the first one I want to talk about is that it is relational. That we demonstrate this love, de love debt by shifting from the rule to the relationship. And let me read Romans 13, 9 through 10. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The, I mean, do you know what that means, love is the fulfillment of the law? You know, one of the ways that I've often demonstrated is, you know, I have a five-year-old son, and uh, if I tell him what sort of our house law is, our house rules are, I might say, you know, Rogan, we brush our teeth 
Every night, we take baths frequently. We should do it more. He should, at least. Uh, we comb our hair. We, uh, he's got a, a, a cousin uh, named Hazel. Um, we don't pull girls' hair, right? We don't hit girls. We don't scream into their ears, right? That's terrible. And he might ask, well, why? I said, well, because that's the rule, and it's the right thing to do. And, and if you don't do it, you'll be punished. Now he gets that part, right? He might do it because he's saying, well, I, my parents have made it very clear that that's the law of our house, and I don't want to be punished. Then that five-year-old boy turns 15, and all of a sudden you don't have to tell him to, you know, be nice to girls and brush your teeth and don't stink because, wow, he likes girls now. Right? He's actually might, might be fond of a girl. All of a sudden, love has fulfilled those things. He's not doing it because I, I don't want to get punished and because my parents said that's the rule. He's doing it because love compels him to. So it's, it's, in this case, it's shifting our focus away from the rule and onto the love. And when we focus on the love, those things just happen. And I have um, two examples one was a sociological study they did with a daycare. And this daycare was having some problems. And it was that um, every once in a while at this daycare, uh, there, were, there were people who came really late to pick up their kids, right? So it, the daycare closes at 5, and there you would, some would show up at 5.15, 5.30, 5.45. And the person running the daycare is not going to be like, well, I'm out, so... You're going to be okay, Tommy? <laughs> Hopefully your parents come soon. I'll leave you on the curb, okay? Right? You don't just leave a kid there. So they had to wait there. And it was an inconvenience. It kept the other person from their family. But no, there was no actual consequence other than the other person feeling badly, right, that they inconvenienced this other person. And it would happen every now and again. And so they came up with a plan. Well, here's what we'll do. We will charge people an exorbitant fee that if they leave their kids then they will get this fee charged to their account nobody wants to have to pay all this extra money so that should stop it here's what happened the problem got worse by an order of magnitude that's 10 times it was all of a sudden, an epidemic. Because now people, it shifted it away, it actually shifted it away from the relationship. Where now people were less likely to do it because they, were, they didn't want to inconvenience another person. They didn't want to keep that other person from their family. They knew it was hard on them. They knew it affected somebody else. It was personal. But now when they knew that the penalty for their crime was a fee, they no longer had to feel guilty because they paid the penalty. They could do it and be like, well, it's okay because I'll pay for it, and so I don't have to feel guilty. You've shifted it to a rule and away from a relationship. And so when they flipped it back, voila, the problem decreases because people are, are, are more likely not to offend when they know it directly affects somebody else and they're going to feel guilty about it. 
versus an actual punishment that they can pay and be like, well, I've paid in full. I'm okay. I don't have to feel guilty about it. And I, I, I did the same test in my class when I have um, a little speaker from Amazon. It's, uh, it's called an Echo, and it, uh, you say Alexa, and she does certain things. Well, you're not allowed to say it in my class. You can't say Alexa. It's against the rule because it's annoying and it is distracting. And if you do it, I started out by saying, if you do it, then you have to do this extra assignment. Well, a lot of people did it, right? Because they're weighing it in their head and they're thinking, you know what? Yeah, I'll do the assignment. <laughs> I'm going to say it, right? So it'll be like in the middle of a class and they'll say, Alexa, play Despacito. I don't even know that song, but it's, I don't like it, right? And I'm like, well, you got that assignment, right? And then, get this, I try this with another class that hadn't had me before. They come up and I say, look, you're not allowed to say this. You, you can't say Alexa because it's very rude. I don't like it. I'll be personally offended. Um, and um, just don't do it, right? And the first time somebody did it, I remember, I didn't, I, it was sort of a mock thing, but they, don't tell them this. You know, I sort of acted a bit, but I remember just being like, so disappointed. <laughs> like, I can't believe that you would hurt my feelings like this. Honestly, I might cry, right? I'm, I'm, I'm breaking their spirit there, right? But then guess what? Not nobody, there was no infraction after that. Nobody wants to make the teacher cry, right? Nobody wants to make the teacher feel that badly. Nobody wants to hurt a relationship. They'll break a rule, but they're far less likely to hurt a relationship. And so when we are relational, we shift away from the rule, and it's far more likely to change people. In fact, it says this um, in Romans uh, 12, 19 through 20. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, the greatest effect we can have on people sometimes is by giving them precisely the opposite of what they deserve. Love reorients our thinking from sort of a retaliatory sense to a relational sense. Because a problem that is made personal is, in fact, more powerful. So that first one then is that we demonstrate our love debt when we are relational. And we demonstrate our, our love debt even to the undeserving when we are also urgent when we demonstrate urgency. Um, and, and Paul says we must uh, live in these last days, he uses, which is um, sort of eschatological urgency, to use a big word. I won't explain it just so you know I know it. Um, he writes in verse 11 this in, in chapter 13. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He's using the idea that, look, we don't know 
when it's coming. And it's precisely because we do not know when things will end, when the world will end, when Jesus will come back, when our lives will end, precisely because we don't know, it should cause us to live with urgency. He's saying, wake up. Don't be indifferent to what's going on around you. It's not a time to sleep. It's a time to be wide awake. And, and uh, the example that I would use is uh, Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he brought uh, Peter, James, and John with him. And he, t- he told them, look, I'm going away. I'm going to go like a stone throws away in the garden. You stay right here. You stay awake and you pray. You pray. And Jesus goes into this garden and he is in deep prayer. It says, in fact, that he is so distraught. He is so stressed and anxious for what is coming that he is sweating blood. And he goes to the disciples. He goes back to them. And he does this three times. And each time they're sleeping. They're not awake. They're not praying. And in his grace, he tells them, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I, I seriously wonder how many times Peter, James, and John repented for this moment. Because if they had known that this was Jesus' last moment with them, I think they would have stayed awake. I think they would have encouraged him. I think they would have prayed with him, but they didn't know it was the last moment they had with him. We don't always know the last moments that we have. In fact, major events are born out of minor moments. And if you're not vigilant, you're going to miss opportunities. And one of the one, ones that I come back to so very frequently in my own life um, is um, a friend I had whose name was Matt. He shared my name. And he struggled in his life. And he um, had some big things happen. He was working at where I was working at the time. And he ended up losing his job over something that happened. And I remember he was got tased in the parking lot um, because he was um, apparently not very uh, easy to work with. So the cops tased him because he, the night before, was drunk and hit a parked car. And he ended up losing his job over this, and he spiraled. He spiraled out. He um, got into drugs, and his life was not where it needed to be. And I was very vocal about my faith. At, at this job, and I liked to defend my faith. I liked to argue, really, more than anything else. And so I was like that, but I remember very specifically, he came to me one day. He, w- he was no longer working there, so he came in specifically to see me. And we were talking, and he looked at me, and he said, he knew that his life was not where it needed to be. He knew that his life was messed up. And he said, Matt, what do I do? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know, man. 
I don't know. Fast forward, and he dies of a drug overdose. See, I knew even after I said those words that I shouldn't have said them because I knew what he needed. I knew what he needed. I knew what I needed to say, and I didn't. And even in that moment when I knew I didn't say it, I said, I'll do it later. I'll make up for it later. I'll tell him later. I don't get a later. I don't get a later because I was not living that urgency. I treated it like it was something I could do later, and it wasn't. And I missed it. And I'm going to tell that story my whole life because I don't know how else to use it other than to compel others to do differently. Because I'm mad at myself for it. I want to live urgently. Right? I want, I want people to hear the truth. Not later, but right then. And so that's what Paul is meaning. That's what Paul is meaning when he's saying we're living in the last days. We don't know what tomorrow looks like. We don't even know what the next moment is. We're in the last days. Wake up and live life urgently because you don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. Don't miss opportunities. The next, uh, the next thing that we, we see is that it calls us to live intentionally. So we have that we should live relationally, we should live urgently, and we should live intentionally. And um, says, uh, do I, I got to find my verse, hold on. shouldn't put so many notes. In Romans uh, 13, 12 through 14, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. In, in the Bible, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul make this distinction uh, between the spirit and the flesh. In the flesh, there's the Greek word sarks. And while it often can mean our physical bodies, and what we're made of, our skins and our bones. They also use it in a figurative sense, in a, sp in, a, in a sense that is referring to our sin nature, that is our tendencies to do the wrong thing. In fact, it says um, uh, in John 8.15, uh, he makes a distinction. He accuses the Jews of judging him according to the flesh rather than God's word, which is the spirit as their evidence. And while flesh isn't intrinsically negative, it is used sometimes in that sense in the Bible. So sometimes you'll see it in a positive sense. Um, you know, the two will become one flesh. Um, 
You'll see that in the in the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. They use that word, which is not negative. But in, in many cases, it is our inward sort of carnal nature. You'll see that in some versions, carnal nature, our, our disposition to sin. And Paul writes in Romans 7, 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And he means that it's nothing good spiritually. And later in verse 25, he admits that his flesh serves the law of sin. And in Galatians 5, 15 through 17, he says that the Holy Spirit is the opposite of the flesh, and they're at war, that our sin nature. And I want to say that sin nature is how we are unintentionally. Right? We don't have to try. In fact, it's precisely when we do not try that we often think selfishly, we think pridefully, we think in ways that we ought ought not to think. However, to be a Christian, to love, it's not just this feeling, right? It is a commitment to other people. It is something that you live intentionally. A debt is not something that you just pay accidentally. A debt is something that you have to be intentional about paying. You're not going to wake up one day and be like, I accidentally paid that debt. It is something that you have to look forward to. Now, unfortunately, uh, automatic payments have sort of warped the metaphor here a little bit because you can forget now. Um, but you get the meaning that the, it is something that you have to be vigilant and intentional about doing because unintentionally, if you don't do anything, if you don't try, you'll slip into a mentality of doing things the wrong way. And uh, one of the examples that I've used um, at a group that I lead called The Point is when I go to uh, Great Clips. That's where I get my haircut. That's where I get this really nice look. And uh, one of the things um, that I don't like to do uh, when I'm getting my haircut is talk, like at all. Um, I just want to sit there, and I, I want to get my haircut. It's, it, for me, it's like the same thing as the dentist, right? It's like, you're in my mouth. Don't talk to me, right? Um, and so when I, when I sit there, it happens every time. They'll ask me, you know, so what do you do for a living? And I know if I say, I'm a Bible teacher. Uh, it gets weird sometimes, right? It's not like I don't like talking about the gospel. It's just that I don't like talking at all. And so I don't want to have to, sometimes if I say I'm a Bible teacher, like, oh, you know, my grandson or or this, or that, oh, you know what, I was having a problem with this, and blah, 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 what's your advice about this? Oh, I knew a church once, or whatever, and, or, you know, they, I don't know, it just all gets weird all the time, so instead, uh, what happened was, when, when uh, I was at Great Clips, and she said, what do you do for a living? I said, I teach. Now, that doesn't solve it, because I know she's going to ask me again, what do you teach? And I said, well, I teach theology. Huh? theology. Why? Because it's a word that you feel like you ought to know, but you normally don't, right? And so she won't ask a follow-up question because she's thinking, I mean, is that something I took in high school? 
I mean, I should know what theology is. So rather than showing my ignorance, I just won't ask any follow-up questions. And so it worked. Every time I'd say, you know, what do you do for a living? I teach. What do you teach? I teach theology. Silence. Yes. Right? And I get home, and I'm, I'm convicted. I'm convicted about this. I, when I go into Great Clips next time, I do the same thing. I say, theology, silence. But then I'm just squirming in the chair. I'm thinking, why'd I do that? Right? Come on. <sighs> I need to be intentional. <laughs> so seriously, like four minutes later, I say, by the way, theology means like Bible. <laughs> That's awkward, right? <laughs> I might as well have just looked at her and said, by the way, do you know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And can I pray for you right now? <laughs> right? But we ended up actually having a really good conversation. She grew up Catholic. She hadn't been to church for a while. She wasn't sure. She had some questions about faith. And I had a good conversation. Unintentionally, if I just let myself not think about what, what God wants for me in my life, I'm probably going to be pretty selfish. I'm probably going to think more about me and what I want. Unintentionally, I'm pretty selfish. But if I am intentional, then I will be demonstrating the sort of love that Jesus wants me to have for other people. I had to think about in that moment, what do I owe this person? What do I owe them? And I owe them love. And is it loving for me to avoid conversation with them simply because I don't want to have it? And the answer is no. And so when it comes out to living out our love debt, right, that we owe love even to the undeserving, continually. This love debt I, I talked about, we live out in three ways. Relationally, urgently, and intentionally. And I would ask you to think about those three things in your own lives. Who are the people and where are the places that you need to be living out relationally, urgently, and intentionally? Because if you're just being unintentional, you're going to miss it. But if you're being intentional, you're going to see it. You're going to see those areas in your life where maybe there's someone you can talk to. Maybe it's someone that you haven't been urgent with and you've been saying, I can do it later. Maybe it's someone that you've been easier with the rule on rather than the relationship. Maybe it's just you not wanting to be intentional. I don't know what it is. I mean, I know what it is in my life, but I don't know what it is in your life. But I would pray and hope that you would be reflective and that you would think about that and you would try to apply living out that love debt in your life, focusing not on what people deserve because, man, people deserve some things. <laughs> Focus instead on what they're owed and they're always owed love. Thank you, I'll pray. Lord, I just thank you so much that you are someone who did it for us. That despite us not deserving grace, despite us not deserving the sacrifice that you made for us, you did it anyways. God, that you paid for us. 
Lord, I just pray that we would be people who, people who live out that sacrifice in our own lives for other people. Lord, that we would be people who think about what we owe and we owe love. That we would think about how we can be relational and urgent and intentional. God, I thank you so much that you are a God of grace and a God of love and a God who empowers us to live this out. And I pray that we would be intentional about living this out in our lives today and tomorrow and the next day and the next, God. And when we make mistakes, God, I pray for your grace and your forgiveness and that we would keep on going, that we would get up and that we would try again. And we thank you so much that you are a God who doesn't leave us down. My goodness, you help us up, God. And I pray that we would take your hand and get up over and over and over again. We love you. And I pray that we would be demonstrations of that love in our lives. In your precious name, amen.